Tonight's scripture reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're reading verses 3 through 5. That's 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 through 5. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. Where do we begin? That's the question that I want to ask you tonight. That's the question I want us to consider, and that's the title of the sermon. Where do we begin? You see, I have a friend. I have a co-worker. I have a neighbor. I have a family member. I have a pharmacist. I have an acquaintance that I met at Walmart. I'm really wanting to study the Bible with them. I really want them to, to be a Christian. I really want them to be in a right relationship with God. But I just, I don't know where to begin. I'll tell you uh, where I want to begin. I think about 1 Corinthians. And I find a lot of areas that Paul discusses in 1 Corinthians where I want to begin. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul deals with division. He deals with those who are following after men. And he says, you've got some who are following after Cephas and some who are following after Apollos and some who are following after Paul. And then you have some who are following after Jesus. And he sees the roots of denominationalism. And he wants to squelch it. He wants to sever those roots. Because he says, that's not right. There's only one Christ. There's only one who died for you. There's only one church. And that's the church that you need to be a part of. And sometimes I want to start by trying to get someone to see the error of denominationalism. Chapter 5, Paul deals with immorality. A man has taken his father's wife, and he says, don't you know that you need to discipline this brother? Don't you know that you need to purge out that leaven? Don't you know that if you allow that to stay in the body, that that leaven could spread, and and you're going to destroy uh, that congregation potentially? He said, don't you know that you need to deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh that you may save their soul? Well, there are times when I see somebody living in sin that I want to address the sin. I want to address their specific situation. And I want to try to get that corrected immediately. And that's where I want to begin. I think about chapter 7, 1 Corinthians. Paul deals with marriage. He deals with those who are in sinful marriage. And he deals with potentials of sinful marriage. And I see someone who is living in a sinful marriage. And I want to get that corrected. That's where I want to begin. I want to point out the error of that. And say that that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 9. That there's only one reason for divorce and remarriage. And that is on the basis of fornication. And so I see somebody living in an unscriptural marriage that God doesn't approve of. And that's where I want to begin. I want to begin with that. I go through the rest of 1 Corinthians and I see in chapter 11, abuse of the Lord's Supper. I look in chapter 14 and I see the role of women in public worship. And I see those who are worshiping improperly and those who are not partaking of the Lord's Supper on the first day of the week. Or they've got women's roles in worship all convoluted and mixed up and they go against Scripture. And I want to start there. I want to begin there. 
I want to address that with people. And I want to try to get that stopped. I want to point out the error of such things. And, and that's where I want to begin. Chapter 16. Paul deals with giving in worship and other matters, again, pertaining to worship. And I see people not giving and people not having a heart uh, that God commands us to have and being cheerful in our giving. And I see an issue in someone's life and, and I want to begin there. I want to get that stopped. I want to get that addressed. And I want them to see the error of their way because I want them to know that with all of these issues, whether it be denominationalism or immorality or it be their marriage or it be worship or whatever it is, I want them to know that if these things don't get corrected, it's going to lead to eternal consequences. Is that where I begin? Where do I begin? How do I get that conversation going? Is is that the place to start? Is that where we begin? Paul says, that's not where I began with you. That's not where I began with you in Corinth. I didn't start talking about uh, the roots of denominationalism. I didn't start by talking to you about immorality. I didn't start by talking about matters of worship. I didn't start there. That's not where you start. So you want to know what's the most important thing you can tell anyone? The most important thing. The first thing I told you. Well, he gives it there in those verses that were read for us just a moment ago. I want to send our time tonight in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I just want to look at a few verses. And I just want to be very basic tonight. And I want you to think about this with me. Because he says this is the most important thing that you can tell anybody. This is what people really, really need to know. Adam, this is what you need to know. And this is what everybody out there needs to know. This is the most important thing that you can share with anybody. Verse 1, chapter 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He says, I want you to know that that's where I started. I started by preaching to you the gospel. And by the way, you received it. I'm telling you in Corinth that that's not... I didn't start with division. I started by declaring to you the gospel. I preached it to you and you received it. If you mark in your Bible, you might just write there, human responsibility. There's human responsibility. We are to proclaim the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ and people have a, have a responsibility to receive it. We have a responsibility to preach it and others have a responsibility to receive it. And unless you receive it, well, you, won't, you won't do anything with it. All right, It's not going to do you any good. So he says, I preached it to you and you received it and you continue to stand in it. And as you continue to stand in the gospel, you are saved. However, underline it, if, if you hold fast the word that I preach to you. There is human responsibility and there is human apostasy. The potential is there for people to give it up, isn't it? The, people, it's, the potential is there for people to walk away from it. The potential is there for people to say, you know what? I uh, am willing to receive the message of salvation according to Jesus, and I'm willing to stand in it. I've received it. I'm going to stand in it. But 
reach a point in their life where they say, you know what, I don't want to stand there anymore. I want to go back to my old life. I want to go back to the way it was. Well, you have that right. But just know if that's a decision you make, you're walking away from God and you are no longer in a saved condition. That's what Paul is saying. I preach it to you. You received it. You're standing in it. And you're saved there. But if you leave it, you're going to be lost. All that's a setup, verse number 3. For I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received. I'm reading from the New King James. Other translations might make this a little more clear. But ultimately what he says is, I deliver to you the matters of most importance. I deliver to you what matters the most. I took what is the most important message that anybody could, re- could give and I delivered it to you. I delivered to you first of all. First of all, this is where I began. First of all, I delivered to you that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. I want you to know tonight the gospel is good news. <laughs> there is great news that you and I can be saved. There's great news that your family member can be saved, that your coworker can be saved, that your neighbor can be saved, that your pharmacist can be saved, that your friend at Walmart can be saved. There is good news that salvation is available to all men. How is that possible? Christ died for our sins. That's how it's possible. He said, that's the most important thing I could tell you tonight, is that Christ died for our sins, for our sake. He died on my behalf. He died on your behalf. How do you feel about that? As you sit here tonight, does that move you at all? I mean, does that touch your heart at all? When you stop and you think about, what are you doing here tonight? Listen, I've had a week, and you've had a week, I am not anywhere close to 100% tonight. I'm exhausted. That's Bible camp exhausted. But when I think about Jesus, He died for my sin. Does that touch you at all? Does that do anything to us? I want that to move me. I want us to think about that. The Bible makes it clear in places like Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 that, that I'm not above this. That all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So Adam falls into the same category as everybody else. I was in need of this and you were in need of this. I am aware that sin is lawlessness. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4. That is, sin is breaking the law of God. Sin is missing God's mark. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with the fact that God has a mark and you can miss it? That there's a target for which we must be aiming and we can miss it? Are you okay with that? You say, I wish God didn't have a target. I wish God would just let me live how I want to live. I wish that God would just let me go on with my life and be a good person and that would be enough. I wish that there wasn't a mark that I actually had to hit. But can I remind you that that you're not really okay with that? I mean, you're a parent, a lot of parents sitting in here tonight, grandparents sitting in here tonight. You're a parent or grandparent. You have children in your life. You babysit, you watch children, you grow up with children in your home, and you know that that there's a law that's given by the authority in the home, whoever that authority might be. 
And if children listen and don't obey, what are they going to be? Consequences? Isn't that true? Isn't it so frustrating when you tell... And I, again, I was, a, I was a kid, and not a perfect one by any stretch. But isn't it frustrating when you tell them to do something and they don't do it? Oh, isn't that so frustrating? And isn't it frustrating when you tell them not to do something and they do it anyway? That's frustrating. And you, you have consequences for that behavior. Why? Because you love your kids. That's why. Because you know that them doing that is best for them. And you know that them not doing that is best for them. And that's exactly the way it is with God, isn't it? God says, I created you. And by the way, I created a whole world that you live in. And I know what's best for you. And I have a mark and I want you to do it. I want you to meet the mark. I want you to obey me. I want you to do what I say. And when you don't, there can be consequences. It's called sin. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what does that sin do? Isaiah 59, verses 1 and 2. It separates me from God. Now I've got a problem. Now I've got a really big problem. How do I, how do I bridge that back together? How do I get back together with God once my sin has separated me from God? Paul says, this is the good news. Jesus died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. I think it's interesting. Don't you? You look for repeated phrases when you're studying the Bible. There's a repeated phrase in our context of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 and 4. The Bible says, uh, Paul says, that he died according to the Scriptures. And then he was buried, and then he rose the third day according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. What do the Scriptures have to say about this? Well, let's just take a quick peek. Go back in your Old Testament to Psalm, the book of Psalms. Turn back there. Do so, please, and find it in your copy of God's Word in Psalm 55. And we're looking at the death of Jesus. We're looking at what Paul has to say here. This is the, the place to begin. This is what we need to know, and this is what other people need to know, that Christ died for our sins. This is what the Scripture says concerning events surrounding the death of Jesus. For example, here's a prediction given by David hundreds of years before the event took place. He, he predicted that Jesus was going to be betrayed by a friend. In Psalm 55, in verse 12, For it is not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Nor is it one who hates me, who has exalted himself against me, then I could hide from him. But it was you, a man my equal, my companion and my acquaintance. We took sweet counsel together and walked to the house of God in the throng. It's a prediction. It's a prophecy of the one who would betray Jesus. I don't have enough fingers. Maybe you don't either, but I'm going to come back to the book of Psalms. You can keep a finger there if you want and try to, but I really want to go back to the, over to the book of Zechariah. That's near the end of the Old Testament. Just look at what the Scriptures say. He died according to the Scriptures, the Bible says. What do the Scriptures have to say about it? Well, in Zechariah chapter 11... Here's Zechariah, again writing hundreds of years before the event took place. In Zechariah chapter 11 and verse 12, the Bible says, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages, how many? Thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Well, 
Interesting, isn't it? That hundreds of years later, that's the exact amount that Judas would betray Jesus for, and he would throw the 30 pieces into the house of God, and what did they do? Bought a potter's field. You see, that, that just proves to me again and again and again that this isn't man's book. This is God's word. We're looking into the word of God, and we're reminded of it. Jesus died according to the scriptures. Look at, uh, go back to the book of Zechariah. Look at chapter 12 and verse number 10. And I will pour on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will look on me whom they pierced. Yes, they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. Grieving the pierced. Huh. Looking ahead to Jesus. Look at chapter 13 in the book of Zechariah. And look at verse number 7. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. It's quoted in the New Testament around the events surrounding the, the arrest in the garden. When Jesus was arrested and the sheep fled, the disciples fled. It's a prediction. It's prophecy. Looking hundreds of years into the future at events surrounding the death of Jesus. But what about the death itself? Well, I go back to the book of Psalms, and I look there at chapter 22. Psalm 22. You know something about the sacrifice of Jesus, right? You know something about the cross and the events surrounding the cross? How much of this sounds familiar to you? Hundreds of years before it took place, how much of this sounds familiar to you? Verse number 1, Psalm 22. My God, my God... Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? My God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, and I am not silent. Verse 6. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let Him rescue Him. Let Him deliver Him since He delights in Him. Sound familiar? You can hear it, can't you? You can hear it being shouted at Jesus from the foot of the cross. You can hear those rulers of the Jews and other Jews walking by and you can hear them shouting these words at Jesus as He hung on the cross. How about verse 12? Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd and my tongue clings to my jaws. I thirst, Jesus says. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Sound familiar? Mark 15, verse 24. According to the Scriptures, Jesus died. And that being true, I know it's true that he died for my sins. You see, the sins are mine. Mike said this this morning. I wrote it down. The sins are mine, but the sacrifice 
was his. Hebrews 4 and verse 15. The separation was mine, but the peace was made through him. He tasted death for everyone one time. Hebrews 2 and verse 9. Where do we begin? We begin by telling people about Jesus, about their problem with sin and his dying on the cross for it, for them. Where do we begin? Paul says, I'll tell you where I began. The matter of most importance, that's where I started. I started by telling you about Jesus and his dying for your sins according to the scripture. I'll tell you from there, I talked to you about his burial. Let me ask you a question very simply. I ask simple questions. Who do you bury? What? Do you bury people who are alive or people who are dead? Who do you bury? You bury dead people. Was Jesus dead? There's not a doubt in my mind that Jesus was dead. You look at the account and you know that Jesus died. I bring this out because there are people today who try to make excuses for Jesus coming back to life. And they say, well, maybe he just wasn't really dead. I'm telling you, he was dead. And they knew he was dead. Everybody knew he was dead. The the Romans knew that Jesus was dead. And the, the Jews knew that Jesus was dead. They knew that Jesus was dead. Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9 talks about his grave being with the wicked. You bury dead people. John chapter 19, guess what the Bible says? The Bible says in John chapter 19, in verse number 33, when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs, but one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and immediately blood and water came out. And he who has seen has testified, and his testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. That's John speaking. For those things were done that the scripture should be fulfilled. Not one of his bones shall be broken. And again, another scripture says, They shall look on him whom they pierced. We read that a moment ago from Zechariah chapter 12. Verse 38, After this, Joseph of Arimathea being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, he asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and he took the body of Jesus. And Nicodemus, who at first had come to Jesus by night, also came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pounds. And they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen with spices, as the custom of the Jews is, to bury. And now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. And so there they laid Jesus, because it was the Jews' preparation day, for the tomb was nearby." I know that this point is often overlooked, but I'm reminding you tonight that Jesus was buried because he was dead. That's why. That's why he was buried. Because he was dead. Why was he dead? To make himself a sacrifice for my sin. That's why he was dead. And after he died, they buried him. And everyone knew that he was dead. Everyone around it knew that he was dead. And Paul says, brethren, this is foundational for you to know. This is the most important thing I can tell you. Where do I begin? You begin with the death and the burial of Jesus. And then where do I go, Paul? Well, you know where you go. This is the gospel. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. The death, the burial, and the resurrection. This is the good news. This is what Jesus has done for you. He died for your sins. He was buried and he rose the third day 
according to the scriptures. So much to say. That resurrection was prophesied again in places like Psalm 16, verses 8 through 10. Peter quotes from those same verses over in Acts chapter 2 when Jesus was raised. And he says, this is exactly what David was talking about. He did not let my flesh see corruption. He did not leave my soul in Sheol. And he says, Jesus was raised. I think it's amazing to think about. Will you go back with me to the book of Matthew? I'm not going to belabor this point, but wow, this is amazing. I love this. I love to think about it. I love to know what Jesus knew and think about what Jesus knew and doing it anyway. You you have something that you've always dreaded. You've got a project that you just dread and you know that it's coming. You're like, oh, I don't want to do it. If there is any way I could get out of this, I would absolutely get out of this. I would do anything to get out of that. What about about dying on a cross? What if you knew that was coming? I mean, you just want to do anything to get out of it, I would think, right? And, and, and Jesus certainly prayed if there was any other way to get out of it, but, but he wasn't going anywhere. He knew what he came to do. I know that because of these words. Look at Matthew chapter 16 and verse 21. Matthew 16 and verse 21. Does your Bible read like mine? It says, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised... The third day. And then chapter 17 in the book of Matthew in verse number 22. The Bible says, Now while they were staying in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him, and the third day he will be raised up. Did he know? Well, if that's not enough for you, let me give you another one. Look at chapter 20 in Matthew. Chapter 20, verse 17. Jesus Uh, was going up to Jerusalem. He took the twelve disciples aside on the road and he said to them, Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man, we will be betrayed to the chief priests and the scribes. They will condemn him to death. They will deliver him to the Gentiles. They will mock and they will scourge and they will crucify him. And the third day he will rise again. He kind of got it right, didn't he? And not just a little of it. He got all of it right. Because he knew. He knew before the foundation of the world. That's exactly how it was going to go. He knew when he emptied himself and left heaven that that's exactly how it was going to go. He knew that when he was born of a virgin... When he knew that as he was growing up, he knew at some point in that life that that's exactly the way that this was going to play itself out. He knew that that's exactly what had to happen. They're going to take him. I'm going to be betrayed. They're going to take me, the chief priests. They're going to have this mock trial. They're going to condemn me to death. They're going to deliver me to the Gentiles. They're going to mock me, beat me, scourge me, crucify me. And the third day, I'm going to raise from the dead. It would have been amazing if Jesus came back on the second day. I mean, somebody raising from the dead, you just don't see it all the time. It would have been really amazing if Jesus had come back the second day. It would have been very remarkable if Jesus would have come back on the fourth day. It would have been amazing if Jesus had come back on the 15th day. But if he had come back on the second, the fourth, or the 15th, he's a false teacher. Because he said it. 
I'm rising on the third day. You have anything to do with when, uh, with when you're going to raise from the dead? I mean, can you make that prediction? I'm telling you, it's something that we need to stand in awe of. Jesus said, this is exactly the way it's going to happen. And I'll be. That is exactly the way that it happens. Jesus knew it. And the rest of the chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the rest of the chapter is all about the resurrection. And Paul says some very remarkable things as I begin to wrap up tonight in in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul says things like in this, in verse number 12, If Christ has preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ isn't risen. If Christ isn't risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is empty. Yes, and we're found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Paul says, I was there, I've seen him, I know that he's been raised. We are witnesses of this fact. We're telling you that this is true. And because it is true, you can have hope yourself of one day raising to be with him. Tell me, where do I begin? What's the most important thing? Adam, they're living in sexual immorality. I've got to tell them about that. Yeah, you do. Adam, they are a part of a denomination. They've got to know that that's wrong. They've got to come out of that. Yeah, they do. Adam, they're living in a bad marriage. They need to know that they're in a bad marriage. They've got to get that corrected. They've got to come out of that. Yes, they do. Adam, they're not worshiping right. They're they're not doing what God says. They're not obeying Him. They've got to get out of that. Yes, they do. But where do I begin? With the gospel. With the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. They need to know that Jesus came and died for their sins according to the Scriptures. This is where we use our Bibles and not us. (laughs) They don't need my mouth. They need God's mouth. And we teach them what the Bible says. And we tell them about Jesus And we tell them about what he's done for them. And they may not listen. That's heartbreakingly true. But if they will, they'll get out of sexual immorality. They'll be willing to leave denominationalism. If they know about Jesus and the Savior that he is, they'll give up uh, adultery or fornication. They'll give up those things that Paul talks about keeping people out of heaven in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 and 10. When you have somebody who understands Jesus and what He's done for them, they'll likely be willing to give up whatever it takes to obey Him. They'll give up whatever it takes to be right with God because God paid the price. For them to be saved. God paid the price. So that I can go to heaven. I don't have to be lost. I can go to heaven. I can go be where God is. 
Not because I've earned it or deserve it, but because He came and died for my sin. What do you do with that good news? Paul said it was preached, it was received, and if you continue in it, you will be saved. I came tonight to remind us that if we really believe that God emptied Himself, that He came down and put on flesh and died for our sins, that we will continue in it. I don't want to give it up to you. I want to stay with Him. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to push myself to grow. And I want to do those things that are right in His eyes because of who He is and what He has done for me. The last verse I ask you to turn to tonight is Romans chapter 6. We're talking tonight about the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Well, what is that? How, how do you obey that? He says, I presented you with the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, and you obeyed it. How do you do that? Well, it's, it's pictured for us perfectly in the Word of God. This isn't Adam telling you what you need to do. Just let the Bible... And in Romans chapter 6 and verse 3, Paul, writing to Christians, those who have done this in the past in their lives, he says, Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Look for the words death, burial, and resurrection, will you? And so he says, They were baptized into Christ Jesus. You were baptized into His death. Verse 4, Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, verse 6, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Do you see the picture? You in your mind, you don't have a problem, do you? You don't have a problem seeing the cross... You understand that when you picture that in your mind, you can see the cross suspended above the earth, and you can see Jesus hanging between heaven and earth on our behalf, and you can see His hands outstretched with nails in His hands and nails through His feet. You can see a crown of thorns upon His head. You can see that He's got next to nothing that He's wearing, and you can see Him coated and covered in blood, having been beaten within an inch of His life. You can see that, right? You don't have a problem. He died. And they recognized that he was dead. And they took him off the cross. And they buried him. They buried him in that tomb. You can see that in your mind, right? And then you understand that three, on the third day that Jesus was raised from the dead. What happens? Baptism? Don't tell me that being dunked in water is not, not, that's not necessary. Don't tell me that's necessary. You see the picture? Paul paints it in Romans chapter 6 and he says, this is it. This is what happens. This is what happens to one who comes to believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. John chapter 8 and verse 24. This is what happens to one who is willing to turn away from their sin in repentance. That is actually moving from Satan to serve God in repentance. This is what happens to one who is willing to confess their faith in Jesus. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. To that one, he then paints this picture. They are baptized. They are buried. What are you doing? You're taking the man of sin. And you're crucifying him. That's what he says. 
You're crucifying Him. Colossians 2 and verse 12, you're buried with Him in baptism. You're putting that old man of sin to death, that old woman of sin to death. You're burying them. You're crucifying them in the likeness of His death. Burying it. And then raising to walk in newness of life. Baptism does save you. 1 Peter 3 and verse 21. The picture is never saved and then baptized. The picture is right here in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 6. That's what baptism does. And you can't be baptized wrong and saved right. You, you can't be a part of, of a body, a church that does not belong to Jesus. The Bible says that we're baptized into Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. It is there that we find ourselves in Christ. That's what Paul says right here in Romans chapter 6. How do you get into Christ? You're baptized into Christ. He adds you then to His church. That's where the saved are. Acts 2 and verse 47. That's what it is. Where do I begin, Paul? You begin with Jesus. You tell them what He's done for you. You tell them what he has done for them, how they can be saved, how there is no reason for them to lose their soul eternally and be lost. There's no reason for them to not go to heaven. That Jesus has done everything he can do for them. That's what we need to remind good people in this life. And I believe there are still those who are willing to receive the message. Paul preached it, but it was up to them to receive it. We can't make people do it. Nobody made me. We've got to reach these conclusions on our own. Tonight, maybe you've reached that conclusion for yourself. Maybe you see the sacrifice that was paid for you to be saved. Maybe tonight you're, you're ready to respond in faith, repentance, and baptism, coming to Jesus. You're ready tonight to respond to what He's done for you, and you're ready to be saved. Tonight, everything is ready, but you need to come. If you're a Christian tonight, and maybe you've not been standing fast, maybe you received that message in the past, but but you've wandered back into the world and maybe tonight you need to make your life right. Well, we stand ready to help you any way that we can. But please respond and do it now while together we stand and sing.